Welcome to FASD Hope, a podcast about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder through the lens of parent advocates with over 20 years of lived experience. FASD Hope provides awareness, information, and inspiration to those people whose lives have been touched by FASD. And I'm the host of FASD Hope, Natalie Becchione. Welcome to today's episode. The following is an ad from the Florida Center for Early Childhood. With 1 in 20 children at risk of developing a fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, the Florida Center for Early Childhood is dedicated to raising awareness about the effects of in utero alcohol exposure and creating better outcomes for individuals living with FASD. The Florida Center is the leading provider of FASD services in the southeastern United States, offering diagnostic analysis, family support, early intervention, and training for professionals. To learn more, visit www.thefloridacenter.org. The Florida Center for Early Childhood is a platinum sponsor of the RUN FASD 2022 Virtual 5K. Today we're talking with Dr. Jared Brown, all about FASD, friendship, and friendship skills. Today is part one of our two-part conversation with Dr. Jared Brown. Today's conversation is back-to-school resources, friendship, and friendship skills. Welcome to today's episode. We are having a two-part discussion with Dr. Jared Brown, who is a regular guest on our show, and he is a, he's a listener favorite. Today's discussion is about friendship and friendship skills and FASD. And this is an important discussion to have, especially uh, as you're preparing to get your kids, teens uh, back to school or back to homeschool or just beyond that. You know, we, we really need to think about friendship and friendship skills uh, with our kids, with our, you know, young adults and with our loved ones. So Jared, it's always a pleasure having you back on our show. Welcome back to FASD Hope. Honored to be here. Thank you so much. Looking forward to chatting with you and your audience today. So this is a really important topic. Um, We're airing this in August. Many families are getting ready to think about the upcoming school year or the upcoming homeschool year. Why is the topic of friendships and FASD such an important topic? I think it's a such an important human topic because it friendship really is critical for healthy human development. And if we look at some of the research on just friendship making abilities in general, it really plays a crucial role in helping people develop socially, emotionally, having good morals, ethical decision-making. It plays a role in emotional and social intelligence. So it really does help just people, brain development, how we process the world, how we interact, how we communicate, learning about like topics of trust and intimacy and interpersonal and group dynamics and the appropriate use of perspective taking. It absolutely plays a role in empathy development and theory of mind development. And it can be a protective factor against 
the development of other types of like mental health problems, especially when people have really high quality friendship groups. It really promotes a, a good sense of self as well. Now, if we bring FASD into this equation, I, I do a lot of consultations with families and professionals and consistently the topic of social skill limitations comes up. My child, my adult child, my, my friend with FASD, they just, they really struggle with making friends in some cases. And that's really what I would love to talk to your audience about here today is just being aware of this big, big topic. What do we know about it with through the lens of FASD? And why do we why do we really want to make this a critical component to, I think, treatment, intervention, support, services? And I think we all play a role, caregivers, professionals, school teachers, mental health folks. And if we can help the individual with FASD learn some of these skills, I do think it's going to help mitigate at least some of the secondary kind of symptoms, disabilities associated with FASD. I'm not saying it's going to cure by any stretch the primary mechanisms of the brain that are damaged by prenatal alcohol exposure, but I do think it can make a very positive impact in that person's overall quality of life. That's great. And we're really just, we're just going to dive right into this now, Jared, because we, we like to be proactive and you know, this is the uh, end of summer, getting ready for the school year, homeschool year. And it's important to think about this now before or as things are beginning. So let's talk about what specifically about FASD and other brain-based diagnoses, but focusing on FASD today, what specifically about FASD makes having and maintaining friends so challenging for those with FASD? Executive dysfunction, kind of at the top of the list, planning, organization, decision-making, some cases struggling to resolve conflict in a healthy and an appropriate manner. If we look at this through a theory of mind lens, which theory of mind deficits are common among people with FASD, theory of mind relates to perspective taking, understanding the internal mental states of other people like thoughts, wants, needs, emotions, intentions. In theory of mind, there's also components of empathy wrapped up into that. So if someone has theory of mind deficits, that can, in some cases, lead to poor perspective taking, breakdowns in interpersonal relationships, and even group dynamics. Unfortunately, we know some some individuals with FASD do struggle with being patient. So if they're consistently impatient with other people, that could rub others the wrong way. Struggling with cooperation and turn-taking abilities in abstract reasoning, linking cause and effect and planning for the future and, and, and things of that nature, I think are definitely components. Unfortunately, we know that individuals who are diagnosed with a neurodevelopmental disorder may also be more prone to being bullied and teased by peers, which those factors alone could contribute to an increase in like anxiety and depression and even higher levels of loneliness where that person now starts going inward. And we know people with FASD have 
if we look at the research, rates of trauma in their histories are quite common. So trauma exposure too could contribute to trust issues. It could contribute to that individual having ongoing problems with understanding like complex human emotions and complex social interactions and behaviors so they can get things mixed up. And unfortunately, when we're dealing with like executive functioning impairments, self-regulation issues, emotional regulation, self-control problems are very, very common. So I think too, when we look at this, there's, I know one study that looked at this briefly that talks about self-regulation difficulties are a really crucial component to understanding why some people with FASD do struggle with making friends. There's something also that, just making sure your audience is aware of this term, it's called indiscriminate friendliness. That more comes out of the literature related to like reactive attachment disorder or disinhibited social engagement disorder. But I've heard this enough from caregivers and professionals where I think this might be an issue to be on the lookout for in some cases. So if someone has true indiscriminate friendliness, they're probably not going to have a lot of stranger danger where they have a tendency to approach and interact with strangers really in the same way they would with like a primary caregiver or someone they've known very well. So they don't show a lot of fear towards strangers. It, it could be indicative of some attachment problems. It could be very distressing for the caregiver if that child or teenager starts running up to strangers and just talking to people like they've known them. So that that's an issue to be aware of. Another issue that comes up is something called superficial chattiness, which we know is quite common for individuals with FASD to be dealing with, where they can be really socially chatty, especially with strangers, and they might come off and in some instances is intrusive at times where that's not their intent, but if they're just starting to go up to strangers and just chat with them and sharing all kinds of personal information, that could rub people the wrong way in some cases. And that is also indicative of lacking perspective taking. And we know people with FASD in a lot of cases might have stronger expressive language skills where they're able to verbalize things and share things with the world where it can come off as if that person might be more competent than what they are. So we need to really look at this through a receptive language lens or a pragmatic social lens, which I can talk about a little bit more in depth today as well. Definitely. So of course, as always, I'm taking very good notes and I will be sharing these notes on our social media posts this week for our listeners. So three things came to my mind when, when you were talking, Jared, first of all, um, bullying, actually, that's going to be part two of this, this all about FASD conversation. So just to let uh, listeners know that we, we will definitely dive, dive deep into that topic. The second thing that comes to mind is the indiscriminate friendliness. I've had so many parent advocates and parents who have been on FASD Hope talk about that. That's that's one of the big things that they would see in their children, especially early on. And uh, also, you know, the superficial chattiness. That's another thing that that many parents and caregivers have have talked about. And that is a is something that I think we need to to recognize early on 
because uh, there are, I think there are accommodations that you can be proactive in, in helping to protect your child, your, your teen, your, your youth who has these, these tendencies, who has uh, these affects. And then the final thing that came to my mind was that, especially in the last two topics, um, it, this makes our kids, teens, loved ones more prone to exploitation because of having having that, you know, indiscriminate friendliness and having that superficial chattiness. That opens more doors than, say, you know, uh, an individual, a child with who is neurotypical, who understands stranger danger or who understands situations that that may become strange. Uh, dangerous. So I'm really, uh, I'm really glad that we're going into these, these subtopics of this conversation. So in breaking apart this topic, um, what specific impairments from FASD, we're talking about the challenges. Now we're talking about uh, what specifically about FASD directly contributes to those challenges that are required to making and keeping healthy friendships. Executive function, so that's the CEO of the brain. Adaptive functioning, we really need to be aware of that topic because executive function guides the bus with adaptive functioning. So if someone has adaptive functioning issues, which are a hallmark deficit in people with FASD, they're typically going to act a lot younger than their chronological age. That's one thing to be aware of. So maybe again, someone is 16 years old chronologically, but if they've been exposed to alcohol or drugs in utero, they've had extensive trauma histories, a lot of times they may function several years younger than their actual chronological age. So that could be very confusing to the outside world where they have a 16 year old body but maybe a 10 or a 12 year old brain. So some, in some cases, I hear this consistently too, the individual with FASD doesn't have a lot of friends their own age. They have a lot of friends who are much younger than them, which when they get older, that could become problematic for a host of reasons. The topic of naivete and gullibility and suggestibility and confabulation and compliance are topics to absolutely consider. I mentioned a little bit about theory of mind. The umbrella term where theory of mind falls under is something called social cognition. That would be a topic for your audience to truly understand. Social cognition deficits are going to be very common among people with neurodevelopmental disorders. Under that umbrella, you're going to have topics related to emotional recognition. So maybe in some cases, the person has a, a difficult time reading facial cues, where they mix up facial cues. Empathy is a component that falls under the umbrella of social cognition. So maybe some, in some cases, the person has limitations or deficits in the area of empathy. Social knowledge, social emotional intelligence would fall under that umbrella too. So what is that person's level of like social knowledge like? Like how to greet people within the social context, how to start a conversation, how to end a conversation. 
are we is a person walking too close to another person where they're not respecting social boundaries, social cues, social perceptions? Those are a few things that would really fall under the umbrella of social cognition. If we then take a, a little deeper look at theory of mind, very, very important topic to be aware of. Theory of mind, again, relates to perspective taking, understanding the internal mental states of other people. The research points to the fact that people with really good theory of mind may be more popular in school, have more quality friendships, more likely to engage in appropriate game playing activities, being in groups of people, doing better in school, learning how to negotiate. On the flip side of that, if somebody has theory of mind deficits, they may be less popular in school, they may have reduced ability to make good solid friends, they may struggle at times being in group settings. They may lack some of the strategies and skills necessary to resolve conflict and make appropriate decisions and transition within a school environment. Theory of mind is a huge, huge topic. Those are just a few things to consider. Another area I think it's very, very important to consider is language. There's many dimensions to language. And research also leans to the fact that people with FASD may have more impairments in the area of language. And there's something called social pragmatic language. That's really the use of language within social situations. So how does your child or teenager with FASD use language to state things, to greet people, to inform people? Do they, do they really know how to change their language usage when they're talking to a child versus an adult? or versus a stranger or a friend or someone they know really well. Pragmatic language also plays a really critical role in like following social rules. So like turn-taking abilities, respecting other people's interpersonal boundaries, staying on topic on that conversation or using appropriate like nonverbal communication are all pragmatic language capabilities. So a couple things to consider when we look through like a social pragmatic language lens, how does that person say things within that social environment? Do they know what to say, how to say it, and when to say it are just a few things to consider. And that I bring that up because it might be worth consulting with like a speech language pathologist. That is just one layer of many to take into account. Now what happens if you have someone with FASD who obviously has been exposed to alcohol in utero, but then also early on in life experienced a number of different kind of environmental traumas. Maybe it's been breakdowns in the family, thrusted into the child protection arena, something on that lines. Now you have trauma on top of prenatal alcohol exposure, it can amplify many of these things I'm talking about today. So really looking at this through a trauma-informed lens, I think is very helpful because peer rejection, bullying, and teasing really is a trauma in and of itself. And in part two, I'll obviously get a lot deeper into that. But any just really being aware that trauma, particularly like complex developmental trauma, research points to the fact too that those experiences early on in life 
could contribute to that person having more problems in the area of understanding like social boundaries. So they might have more poor boundaries, which could be partially rooted in attachment problems, age inappropriate behaviors, confusion around what's appropriate and what's not. What is private behavior supposed to look like versus public behavior? They could have really confusion around like blurred roles within that social context. They may have a lot of fear with the topic of like intimacy and vulnerability. Those are some big topics to be aware of that can be very confusing to anyone. And in some cases, these issues could contribute to more self-esteem issues. The person may struggle with understanding the difference between assertiveness and aggressiveness and uncertainty. And all of these things could trickle down into having more problems, making friends, keeping friends, or attracting friends who are healthy and appropriate. I've heard this countless times too, where the person has a tendency to make friends with people that might have a tendency to take advantage of that individual. And in some cases, that could be one reason why the person comes into contact with the criminal justice system. Yes. So, and again, just, just drawing from the nuggets of wisdom that you're sharing with us. First thing is when we talked about, uh, when you mentioned speech therapy um, and, and having you know a speech therapist assist with these matters, in July, we aired an episode with uh, Christian, who is a speech therapist who works specifically with FASD, and she has a program for children as they age, learning about you know healthy communication and teaching these skills, and and you know having parents recognize what you're talking about, Jared. So if you want to refer back to that episode, um, I will I will mention that in in our notes. Um, secondly, Jared, this is a this is a term that's been thrown around a lot that I've heard um, quite a bit. And I just wanted to know where it falls into what you're discussing. Hostile attribution bias. I, I oh, know sure. what it is. I know what it is. But can that be a factor in making healthy relationships? And if so, where does it fall in to what you're you're, you're discussing? You bet. That's a topic I teach a little bit about in some of the classes I teach at the college level. I look at it more through a forensic lens, but it doesn't always have to be that way. So in my experience, when people have hostile attribution bias, they typically had some tough stuff happen to them early on in life. Trauma, adversity, hardship, all of those things where the person may have a tendency to kind of misinterpret the social environment, facial expressions as something very scary or hostile, where they have a reaction to that. It could be an overinflated reaction. It could trigger a fight or flight response, so like a trauma trigger. So someone with true hostile attribution bias may be in a group and they see somebody grinning or laughing, that person may instantly jump to the conclusion that that person they've never met is actually making fun of them when in fact, maybe the person it had nothing to do with them. So they're misinterpreting facial cues, body language, even voice tone in some cases. So then they take that information in, they process it in their brain, their brain tells them, this is scary, this is bad, this is dangerous, this person's being mean, this person's being aggressive. 
then they react on that. They may run away, they may yell and scream, they may get into a fight. That's kind of a really broad, higher level overview of hostile attribution bias. And absolutely, it can get in the way of friendship making abilities. Because if that person has a tendency to really react to things that the rest of the group, the classroom, has no idea why that person reacted that way. I think that could create confusion in people. People may pull away from that individual. That person may start getting a reputation for being kind of a hothead when in fact, it could just be rooted in trauma. But a lot of people don't look at those things. They don't connect the dots that something else may be going on behind the scenes that could be triggering this. So, and the reason why I brought that up is because again, you know, you, you, with your amazing uh, wisdom and, and experience, um, you always come back to the putting on the FASD lens, you know, that brain-based lens when we're talking about these topics. So when that came up, you know, I, I thought of that because actually that's a term that uh, a professional used a long time ago, um, you know, w- with with our son and um, just talking about uh, different symptoms. And, but that professional talked about it more in a, in a behavioral modification rather than what now I've learned and what now we know is that is a symptom of how the prenatal alcohol exposure plus the trauma exposure will exacerbate in, in someone with an FASD. I, I, again, I'm, I'm just appreciative of your, uh, your feedback and, and your wisdom on that. One more thing before we dive into strengths and before we dive into resources for parents. And this is something that I, I know that I've experienced in, in my family, but, um, I know many other, uh, listeners have, have mentioned, let's talk about humor. We know that humor is important in relationships and, I'm thankful that our son has a couple of really good friends who understand his brain and who understand his humor. But we know that in many kids, teens, young adults with FASD, humor can either be inappropriate or there might be humor deficits because of that concrete thinking. Can we talk about that for a second and how that's related to these challenges in in friendship skills? Yeah, that's a huge area that I'm starting to dig a lot more into. There was a case I consulted on last year where I think that was a really driving factor as to why this person had so many run-ins with the law and breakdowns in relationships. There's not a lot of research specifically on humor deficits in FASD, but there's quite a bit on autism and ADHD and brain injuries. So I think we can learn a lot from that, what that research says. But Humor is so important when used effectively, and it's a great stress reduction strategy. And humor and and using humor effectively can help people connect with others. It's actually been shown to reduce inflammation in the body too. So there's a lot of benefits to using humor effectively. What I do know about FASD and humor, and this is just from case studies and articles that may just mention it briefly, Social information processing deficits contribute to humor processing issues, theory of mind deficits, information processing speed deficits. So when I talk about that, just think of like a traffic jam of information in the brain where it doesn't get processed and it just builds up and up and up. Reading comprehension deficits relate to this. Making and understanding inferences 
connecting the dots, predicting the future, drawing conclusions, understanding somebody else's points of view. So like perspective taking, that ability to really understand why questions, which are component of abstract reasoning, developmental immaturity, that lack of ability to understand sarcasm and suggestibility are a few of the variables that consistently come up that really lean to the fact that people with FASD may have more problems in the area of understanding and processing humor. So for so many of our kids with FASD, humor is definitely something that can be a struggle, uh, but we don't realize how abstract many, uh, many forms of humor, much humor is. So uh, that's really important for us to have that brain-based lens when we're thinking about humor. Can you share one more thing about that humor that might just be helpful for your audience to know? Absolutely. If you look at the autism research on humor, that, that literature points to the fact that deficits in linguistic abilities, pragmatic language, the social language I spoke about, theory of mind, executive function, episodic memory, self-awareness, and abstract reasoning are the consistent deficit domains that have been shown in research when looking at human processing deficits among people with autism. I really suspect that's pretty, pretty similar to people with FASD, just in my experience and talking to enough caregivers and professionals who have seen these patterns too. But there's That'd be a great area for a researcher to dig into, or if you have a student listening to this, that would be a great dissertation topic or master's thesis too. Definitely a lot of gaps in the literature in the FASD world related to humor. So that's a call to action. I like to take call to action, Jared. That's a call to action to anyone listening who is in, in clinical, uh, professional, educational humor and FASD and, and that, and, and again, also connecting, looking at that autism and humor research. Um, yes, I would definitely like to see that. So talking about strengths now, because we of course want to help our families and, um, educators and, and anyone listening, how can we use the strengths of an individual with FASD to help maintain and to keep friends and just to start building those friendships? I think first and foremost, just really starting to look through an FASD-informed lens. I would infuse trauma-informed care practices in their attachment-based approaches and even become sleep and executive functioning informed because those are issues that are almost universal to people with FASD. A couple things to ask yourself is what is that person's really ability to make friends? But then what is their ability to keep friends? Can they make friends pretty good, but then they have breakdowns in the friendships quickly after. I hear this consistently about like vocational and work-related things where the person with FASD can find a job, no problem, but then keeping the job can be tricky. And I do think components of friendship-making abilities relate to that as well breakdowns in relationships with coworkers, working in group dynamic. What is that person's level of like social, like stranger danger, like indiscriminate friendliness? Do they have a history of that? Really targeting that. How does that person navigate a group versus a one-on-one setting? Again, how do they talk to someone they know well versus someone they just met? What does friendship truly mean to that person? 
that's a big concept. So helping them like name it, define it, label it. What's an acquaintance versus a really good friend? Talking about the topics of vulnerability and victimization. How do you interact with someone face-to-face versus an online environment? That's a whole nother can of worms that we could open up is how does all this apply to the social media realm? That definitely could be another talk for another time, but that's a huge issue I hear about over and over again is boundary problems on the social arena in, in like social media and things of that nature. Talking about what does it mean to be assertive versus aggressive? Is the person engaging in age-appropriate behaviors? Again, are they associating with people of their chronological age or are they associating with people much younger than them, but who more align with their social emotional age? Really focusing on strategies that can help someone become part of a community in a very healthy manner. Lots of things to think about with that. Learning how to express feelings more effectively. Learning how to, again, use humor effectively. Maybe if someone did something wrong, teaching them what it means to truly make things right. Apologizing to someone. How to start a conversation, how to end a conversation. All of these things can be helpful. Nally, I know you're, you're probably very familiar with like the term external brain, but just being aware that some people that FASD may do quite well with having like a mentor or a guide or a coach, someone that can help them make better decisions around finding friends and making age appropriate decisions as much as humanly possible. But then also focusing on strategies that can help identify with other people more effectively. Those are going to be things rooted in empathy, perspective taking, learning how to ask questions of other people so the person doesn't always come off as very one-sided, self-focused, understanding the internal mental states of other people, their motives, their plans, their ambitions, those kind of things. Anything we can do, I think, to understand suggestibility is going to be very helpful and keeping a really close eye on social media use understanding the topic of compliance where a person may have a tendency to like engage in people pleasing so they have an eagerness to please others and they may have a really strong sense of wanting to belong which is not bad on the surface but if they are going to do that they may not understand that that group may be trying to take advantage of them as well which could be a whole nother can of worms where that opens up implementing social skills training Maybe it's working with a play therapist, an art therapist, focusing on specific interventions. Maybe it's for the parents. Maybe it's for the entire family system. Maybe it's the teachers involved who can get some training on these things too. Really target those executive functioning skills, learning how to regulate emotions more effectively. And I also think too, teaching that person as they get older, what does intimacy really mean? defining that, helping them understand that as they get into relationships with other people as they get older. And the last thing I'll say too, is learning how to really understand and name and label and perceive emotions. That can be very tricky for this population. There's something called alexithymia, which is an emotional awareness, emotional processing deficit. So really helping them learn how to label feelings, name them, use emotions, helping them not really act on their emotions 
all the time because that can be very tricky for someone too. Those are a few things that come to mind. I have a whole page of notes that I just wrote about awesome. everything you mentioned so that we can share with, with our listeners. And again, as always, you share just such wisdom and, and such such perspective for us in the FASD community. The other thing I, I, when you're, when you're listing these, I was thinking of a previous conversation I had with Luca, who is in the uh, FASD project in, in the Netherlands, and they have what's called a, a buddy project. And it's kind of similar to best buddies here in the U S where, but it's specifically for FASD where they have someone who's, you know, a little older, who, who is trained in understanding FASD and, and brain-based diagnoses, who's kind of like a mentor to, uh, to someone and to, as they get older. And um, I think that relationship is key. Um, and I think a project like that here, you know, every country, but especially here in the States, having that mentorship, having that, like, you know, we talk about the external brain or really just, I, I kind of like to think of it as almost like, you know, you're just walking alongside that, that individual and helping them navigate those. Because if you step back, there's so many factors involved in friendship and it, it's very complicated. So having that person who can be a mentor, I, I think is extremely helpful. So uh, I, I'm just very happy that you're just going through this list of, of, of strengths and skills that we need to, to focus on. So let's uh, talk about, Jared, if there are any specific resources or strategies that you have found helpful or that can be helpful uh, for kids that have FASD and their families, caregivers about building friendships, maintaining friendships or, or anything related to friendship. I think if we look through like uh a social emotional developmental lens, that might be a good framework to consider. So anything we can do to promote healthy social emotional development, I would recommend doing those things. What might that be? Helping that person really learn how to form trusting relationships with other people who have their best intentions in mind early on in life. So really promoting healthy attachment, Looking at some of the literature on like play abilities, like early on in life, kids who like learn how to play with other kids effectively and learning how to share and use toys effectively, maybe working with like a developmental psychologist, developmental pediatrician, maybe even a play therapist, because the benefits of play in early on in life are just amazing. It helps promote memory theory of mind, executive function. These are just general things, regardless if it's someone with FASD or not. I think anything we can do to promote learning for that individual. I, I notice at least a lot of the cases I've consulted on, the individuals lived a really sedentary lifestyle, promoting movement, eating healthy, getting good sleep, just taking care of ourselves physically and emotionally are some good things. Teaching that person how to deal with challenges and conflict more effectively. So being aware of the topic of like parental modeling. So being just being aware of how you model to your kids, 
how you handle stress, how you handle conflict, how you handle worry, teaching boundary setting, self-control, limit setting, delaying gratification, really teaching that person early on in life. And these are all common sense things, but just trust and empathy and compassion, developing a sense of right or wrong. Obviously, working with people with FASD, that, that can be more challenging to teach these things, but finding providers who understand these topics, working as a team. So usually people with FASD do best with a multidisciplinary team where they're all working together with the common goal of helping that person improve health, wellness, functioning. But again, getting family members involved in this too. And also if the team, there's many members of this team bringing everyone to the table from time to time to check in, to talk, to communicate, to dialogue, to find out what's working, what's not, getting buy-in from the family when appropriate are a few just basic one-on-one things I would start with. This is terrific, Jared. And again, just taking so many notes, and I know that this will truly benefit our listeners and, and those who just want to help uh, our kids, teens, young adults have those friendships. Having those few friends that truly understand your child and will walk alongside them as they, they get older, to me, I think is more important than having this large group of friends that they may act superficial, you know, they may have a superficial relationship. What, what's, what's your opinion on that? I cannot agree more because there's, there's been several cases I've consulted on where in that person's mind, they have all of these friends online, but they've never, they've never met these people. Half of them they've never talked to. I think it's quality over quantity. Less is more really focusing on a small group network, in my opinion, that seems to absolutely be the best plan of attack. Oh, I love that. Thank you. <laughs> because absolutely, if, if you think about FASD and if you think about an individual with an FASD, we really want to create almost a nucleus around that person where it's their, their, their trusted friends, family, and uh, the, the people that basically are going to have their back. So um, let's talk about, we're airing this in August, and I know you have so many wonderful events and webinars and things happening through your nonprofit. Um, let's share just a couple of things that are coming up so our listeners, uh, if, if they're interested, they can sign up. Yeah, we do. We do trainings through the American Institute for the Advancement of Forensic Studies, all online trainings now. And we have a lot of on-demand trainings. I have many on FASD, but we do lots of topics, autism, ADHD, traumatic brain injuries, trauma, sleep issues, the list goes on. And you're welcome to share the website with folks if they're interested. And these are all continuing education trainings. And we really take a deep dive into the implications it has for the mental health arena, as well as social service, human service in the criminal justice systems. And folks can go online and just Google my name and type in FASD. I have many different resources, articles I've done and different podcasts I've done with um, various outlets around the world. And I know you and I have done several now. I don't even know how many we've done now. We've probably done at least well, six been, or seven. It's been a year. It's been, I, I, I like, 
I want to say about September 2021 was when we had our first episode, Jerry. And it was oh, no about, <laughs> yeah, and it was about FAST and COVID. So my goodness, it's been, <laughs> it's been almost a year. So um, yeah, yeah. And again, Jared, I'm just so thankful for everything that you do, not only in the FASD community, but just in the community in general, you, you and your nonprofit and your your teaching is just such a valuable treasure that that we have, not only for parents, but for professionals, clinicians, educators. So I'm always thankful to have you on our, our on our show. You know how I like to end our episodes on words of hope. Let's talk about uh, just any hope or encouragement that you have for listeners, for their kids, teens, loved ones that want to develop friends and and have meaningful friends and how they can help them do that? I honestly think your, your podcast program and the other FASD podcast programs are a wonderful resource that weren't here a handful of years ago. So there's more awareness being done. There are more books being published on, on these topics. There are more journal articles. I'm trying to get the word out more about these. I'm actually putting together several trainings on many of these topics. So I think definitely trying to get the word out there. And hopefully, if, if time permits, I'll put together some short articles and handouts where you're more than welcome to share with your audience. But I do think there's more and more awareness about these topics there's more professionals out there that are showing an interest in wanting to learn about this. And one thing that COVID has taught us is that we don't have to seek services right from someone within our own town. You could find a professional, a coach, a mentor, whoever, if you had a computer anywhere in the world now. So I think there are opportunities to connect with professionals who understand these topics, who might not be in your location locally, but there are more and more resources out there online as well. And those are wonderful words of hope and encouragement. We'll also be sharing Jared's information and links and website links so that you can follow up if you're interested in more information. Jared Brown, Dr. Jared Brown, as always, thank you so much for being on FASD Hope. Honored to be here. Thank you so much. Thanks again for listening to FASD Hope with Natalie Vecchione. If you like our show and want more information, check out FASDHope.com or please leave us a five-star rating and review and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you join us again next week and remember to be informed, take care, and always have hope.